a prayer. Oh, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. I'm a Minnesota boy. I became a Michigander in 2009 when I adopted this state, and it adopted me. 10,000 lakes, that's right. Actually, more than that. One of Minnesota's claim, one of its only claims to fame, <clears throat> happened back in 1987. Does anyone know what this is? It's a Homer Hankey. And in 1987, the Minnesota Twins made the World Series for the first time by beating the Detroit Tigers. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <clears throat> and the Metrodome became known as the Thunderdome. And the, it seemed like the entire state of Minnesota, all 4.25 million people at that time, became raucous Minnesota Twins fans. I'm serious, everywhere you went, people were talking about the Twins. And one of my fondest memories of growing up was that last year of high school, at my grandparents' house with my mom and dad and brother watching the Minnesota Twins beat the St. Louis Cardinals in seven games. I think it was the first time that the home team has won every single game. And it was an amazing World Series, in my opinion, one of the best ever. Well, 1988 came and they didn't win. 1989, 1990, they won again in 19, 1991, and nothing ever since. And I know for the Tigers it's been longer, so you, you don't really feel sorry for me. But as I look back on that time, I think how empty, how shallow, how temporal all that enthusiasm and even unity in the state that happened because of a baseball team. By way of contrast, I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 10 this morning. And the main idea for these few verses is this. God saves, so his people praise. I wasn't at the Metrodome for any of those World Series games. I wanted to be. Wasn't allowed to go. Dad, I forgive you for that. I went for opening day the next season. And it was as loud as I had heard about it being. It was so loud, I, I was yelling into my brother's ear standing right next to me, and he could not hear me. That was the praise being given to these players. How much more should God's people have to praise? Our eternal destiny alone should cause us to rise up and praise God. 
And so by way of review to see where we've come in the book of 1 Peter and also just to remind you of all the eternal and deep and wonderful things we have to praise God for. Let me quote beginning in verse 3 of of chapter 1 where it says, All honor to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is by his boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege of being born again. Now we live with a wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. For God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. It's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And God in his mighty power will protect you until you receive the salvation because you are trusting him. It will be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad There's wonderful joy ahead, even though it's necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. These trials are only to test your faith, to show that it is strong and pure. It's being tested as fire, tests and purifies gold, and your faith is far more precious to God than mere gold. So, if your faith remains strong, After being tried by fiery trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him, you trust him. And even now, you're happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Your reward for trusting him will be the salvation of of your souls. This salvation was something the prophets wanted to to know more about. They prophesied about this gracious salvation, even though they had many questions as to what it all could mean. They wondered when and to whom the spirit of Christ within them was talking about, when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They wondered when and to whom all this would happen. They were told that these things would not happen during their lifetime. But many years later, during yours, and now, this good news has been announced by those who preached to you in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It's all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So, think clearly and exercise self-control. Look forward to the special blessings that will come to you at the return of Jesus Christ. Obey God because you are his children. Don't slip back into your old ways of doing evil. You didn't know any better then. But now, you must be holy in everything you do. Because he who chose you to be his children is holy. For he himself has said, You must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the Heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites when he judges, He will judge or reward you according to what you do, so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners here on earth. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, 
spotless lamb of God. God chose him for this purpose long before the world began. But now in these final days, he has been sent to the world for all to see. And he did this for you. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And because God raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory, your faith and hope can be placed confidently in God. Now, you can have sincere love for each other as brothers and sisters because you've been cleansed from your sins when you accepted the truth of the good news. So see to it that you really do love each other intensely with all your hearts. For you have been born again. Your new life did not come from your earthly parents because the life they gave you will end in death. But this new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal, living word of God. As the prophet says, people are like grass that dies away. Their beauty fades as quickly as the beauty of wildflowers. The grass withers and the flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord will last forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. So get rid of all malicious behavior and deceit. Don't just pretend to be good. Be done with hypocrisy and jealousy and backstabbing. You must crave pure spiritual milk so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment as a baby cries for milk now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. And now for our text this morning. Come to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by the people, but he is precious to God who chose him. And now, God is building you as living stones into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are God's holy priests who offer the spiritual sacrifices that please him because of Jesus Christ. As the scriptures express it, I'm placing a stone in Jerusalem, a chosen cornerstone, and anyone who believes in him will never be disappointed. Yes, he's very precious to you who believe. But for those who reject him, the stone that was rejected by the builders has now become the cornerstone. And the scriptures also say, he is a stone that makes people stumble, the rock that will make them fall. They stumble because they do not listen to God's word, or obey it. And so they meet the fate that has been planned for them. But you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests. God's holy nation. His very own possession. This is so you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. Once you received none of his mercy, now you have received his mercy. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. This passage flows along these lines. Our response to the gospel and subsequent suffering then honor paradigm leads us to align ourselves with the one who was rejected by the world but is chosen and precious to the Father. Simultaneously, 
we are also chosen and precious to the Father as he fits us both as living stones into his spiritual temple and makes us into holy priests who offer spiritual sacrifices. Spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God, leading to honor rather than shame. By way of contrast, those who do not believe stumble over God's chosen and precious stone, which he has made into the cornerstone, but for them is a stumbling block and a rock of offense. This is because of their disobedience. And ultimately, it's their destiny. But in contrast to this destiny of stumbling and offense, there's a seven-fold honor for the believer. Put your eyes, if you would, on verses 9 and 10. For the believer, they are part of a chosen race. They are a member of a royal priesthood. They are citizens of a holy nation. They have come to be acquired by God. They've been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. They have been transferred from being stateless to being God's people. And they have gone from not being recipients of God's mercy to receiving mercy. So as a Life Application Bible summarizes this, we have been chosen by God as his very own and we have been called to represent him to others. Now we come directly into God's presence without fear, as Hebrews 4, 16 reminds us. And we're given the responsibility of bringing others to him also, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. When we are united with Christ as members of his body, we join in his priestly work of reconciling people to God. So the emphasis in this passage seems to be on the honor we have because of Christ and our subsequent responsibility and, re, and calling to proclaim God's excellencies, God's goodness to others. So point number one, God honors believers who come to Christ in obedience. This passage begins, verse 4, as you come to him, or as the New Living Translation that I quoted earlier, the 1995 edition says, come to Christ. What does it mean to come to Christ? To come to him. Implied in that is obedience. To be a follower of Christ, you have to, say it with me, follow Christ. Let's try that again. To be a follower of Christ, you have to follow Christ. And following Christ means obeying Christ. Now, who is this Christ? He's described, first of all, as a living cornerstone. That's kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? Stones aren't alive. We drive on stones all the time when you go down gravel roads. No stones are crying out in pain. But Jesus is our living cornerstone. Everything squares on him. And not only is he our living cornerstone, but he's our great high priest, as the book of Hebrews tells us over and over again in many different ways, he is the only priest that we need. The only priest that comes between us 
and God, and he can sympathize with us because he was human. He is human like us, and he endured every kind of trial and temptation that we endure. And yet, also, he was the ultimate sacrifice. He himself was that sacrifice. He laid down his life for you and for me so that we can come to him. Because if he doesn't do that, we reject him. But he sacrificed his precious lifeblood for us so we can be reconciled to God. That's who Christ is. And then we're described in similar terms. Notice what it says there, the end of verse, uh, beginning of verse 5. You yourselves like living stones. The, the uh, oh, I'm slipping, my, my, my grammar slipping my mind. Uh, it's gone from singular to plural. There is one cornerstone, but we are living stones brought together as the big C church, the universal church, that transcends time and geography, and also the little C church as we come together here in this body as living stones. God is placing us here. You don't get to choose your brothers and sisters, physical brothers and sisters. You don't get to choose your spiritual brothers and sisters either. God chooses. And we are placed and we become God's dwelling place. Like the Old Testament tabernacle and temple was the dwelling place of God. Now, we, together, are God's dwelling place. But just not as stones. Like Christ also was our great high priest. So we are priests. And as he's going to say in verse 9, we're a royal priesthood. Every single one of us is a priest before God. We don't need anyone between us and God. We are our own priests. We go directly to God, not through another human being other than that human and divine Son of God, Jesus. And we offer these spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. Hebrews describes one of them at the end of Hebrews as a sacrifice of praise. And that's what we're going to see in verse 9 here. Ultimately for us, our sacrifice of praise is that spiritual sacrifice that's acceptable to God. Which, by the way, I have to give Corb and the choir uh, a lot of uh, thanks for that I am not ashamed song this morning. I mean, you're getting your gospel choir on. That was good. And it caused us to praise God with you. That's the purpose of a choir, to bring us into praise. There's another spiritual sacrifice that Paul wrote about in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So we have the sacrifice of praise, but you also have your body being sacrificed Not in the same way that Jesus' body was sacrificed as an atonement for our sins, but in a way of submission to him. And that's all part of the coming to Christ, all part of the acts of obedience. He is now our Lord and our master, and we sacrifice our desires for him. Now in verses uh, 6 
through 7 and 8, we have multiple Old Testament references that are building on one another, describing who Christ is as this cornerstone and how precious he is and the honor that comes to those who believe. What is this honor? Well, I ticked through it at the beginning, but let's take a closer look at it. The honor described by Peter begins in verse 9. You're a chosen race. God chose you, irrespective of your ethnicity, of your gender, of your socioeconomic position, of your athletic ability, of your scholarly ability. God has chosen you. What an amazing privilege. What an amazing honor. We could stop right there, but it goes on. We're chosen to be a royal priesthood, not merely the passive building in which God dwells, but active worshipers. That's why coming together, gathering together on a Sunday morning is so important. We understand that there are some people that still need to live stream, and so we keep that going. For people who aren't able to gather, that are homebound. But if you're able to be here, you should be here. Gather together with your brothers and sisters once a week at the very least to be worshipers of God together. And then we're described as a holy nation. Once again, there's no ethnicity here. There is no nation. There is no people group that is God's special people today. Certainly Israel was chosen by God, but now Israel, the church has been grafted in. And so the United States of America is not the new Israel, by the way. You don't find the United States of America anywhere in the Bible. It's not God's chosen people for today any more than Kenya, Africa, or Japan, or India, or any other country in the world. But together in this body, we are God's holy nation, his church. And then we are a people for his own possession. God has uniquely purchased the church through the blood of Christ. And then, at the end of verse 10, we have this moving from a stateless person to a citizen. You know there are people who are born in Thailand without birth certificates and thus without citizenship. And they have to go through a lengthy and arduous process just to get those precious papers. You are a citizen of God's kingdom. Regardless of whatever citizenship you have here in this earth, you are people for his own possession. You have been moved from a stateless person to a citizen. And from a person who had not received mercy, but one who has received mercy. Mercy is something we all need. Not getting what we deserve. And this is the honor that we have in Christ. And this honor is eternal. As we read earlier, it's kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the range of change and decay. And God is protecting us. Not just protecting that, but protecting us until we receive this salvation. This is who we are. Now, by way of contrast, 
Second point here, unbelievers stumble because they reject Christ in disobedience. Notice what it says in end of verse 7 and verse 8. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of, of offense. Why? They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. That's no accident Peter is writing this directly after what Pastor Keith spoke about last Sunday, the living word of God. And remember that illustration for those of you who are here, how he babysat Owen and did everything except give him the milk? I think we as dads could all relate to that one. It's milk that what they need and what they're craving for. And it's milk, the milk of the word that we should be craving for. And as Pastor Keith said, it's the Bible craving it, not so that it's a book to be mastered, but a book to be mastered by. Not just to get head knowledge, but to get heart transformation. And yet, unbelievers reject that. Why? Because... They disobey the word. As the, New Living, as the New Living Translation puts it, they do not listen to God's word or obey it. It's kind of like when I was growing up, my mom would say to me, are you listening to me? I'm like, were you talking? <laughs> it's hard to obey when you're not listening. And unbelievers refuse to listen to God's word. Therefore, they are unable to obey it. Even if they heard it, they wouldn't want to obey it. And so, we have a very hard truth here. It says, as they were destined to do. I'll leave that for someone smarter than me to unpack for you. But let me just say this. And I'm going to repeat it in the application for the lost. If you are a lost person here today, your opportunity to listen to God's word and obey it and become a part of the people of God with all of the honors that are available to you. It's still available today. As long as you are sitting here today, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Don't count his, his uh, waiting as slackness. A, year is as a, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. God's waiting so that people come to him in repentance. And if you are here today listening to the preaching of God's word, this is your opportunity yet again to turn from your sins, to repent and put your faith and trust in the God of the universe who made you. It's not too late to change course. So that brings us to our third and final point. Believers Proclaim the praise of God who saved us from darkness into light. We were in spiritual darkness. We're blind to the beauty and preciousness of Jesus and the gospel plan of salvation. If I'm preaching to you today and, and you are here and you are lost, anything that I say in and of myself, in my humanity, apart from the Holy Spirit doing his work, it's just words. It's like that the adults in the Charlie Brown cartoon. Until the Holy Spirit takes those words and awakens them within your heart. By the way, this is just a little side note, but last week's faith story by Avery, 
it's a, it was a wonderful description of how a, a, a young lady brought up in a Christian home in a church, much like ours. Well, actually it was ours. <laughs> and has the lightning bulb go on multiple times in her life as she's growing up. Oh, I never heard that before. Oh, I get this new idea. And that's why it's so important for you parents to be training your children while they're young, before they can understand even what they are learning, before they can understand what they're memorizing. I tell you, I love teaching the kindergarten, first and second grade sparks on Wednesday night. We go through the whole Bible, cover to cover, talk about the gospel, and they can pair it back to me, the truths. I'm like, man, that's awesome. Most of them are still pagans. They have not received Christ. They don't understand what they're talking about. But they will if, if we as a church and you as parents are vigilant. And that's one of the important reasons why we do a parent dedication every year like we're going to be doing tonight. Kids are born into this world blind to the beauty and preciousness of Jesus. But God delivers us so we can see and then proclaim the goodness of God. That's what we've been called to do. And he's using us as reconcilers. Well, let's close here with some application. A few years ago, I, I introduced to you all these uh, scaffolding the gospel cards. I don't know where I put my scaffolding the gospel, but I got a PowerPoint for them. <clears throat> and they are available at the Welcome Center here and uh, at the back of the chapel. I encourage you to use these cards. They're self-explanatory. Pick one up. You can read it. If you have any questions, ask me. But in the back of this card, borrowed from Mike Winter and the CBMC organization, with permission, is the top 10 list. These are the lost people God has placed uniquely in your life that you are praying for and looking for opportunities to share the gospel with when you are able. Another good resource that we have here at South my favorite track. I'm not a big fan of tracks. I think a lot of them maybe lead people to, well, I'll just say, I'll just keep it positive. The Two Ways to Live track and the kids' version, Who Will Be King, which I actually like better than the Two Ways to Live track, are two excellent resources that we have. They're also available at the welcome desk. I encourage you to buy them on your own from Matthias Media. Just grab one and, and then buy 20, 30 of them, 100 of them, and use them in your conversations. Don't do coward evangelism and leave them, you know, and then walk away on some park bench. Give it to a person that you're having a conversation with. And then a couple books uh, to recommend. These books are all in our library, by the way. Two of them are for sale in our library. The first one is available for free. And it's called Before You Share Your Faith. And if you take out your cell phone right now and open your photo uh, app and point it to that QR code, it will bring you to a website that you can download this book electronically for free and have a copy on your Kindle or whatever device you want it. And you can watch this later and, and get that. Or go to the library. We have copies uh, for sale and uh, a copy to uh, borrow in the library. Uh, Tim Keller, who recently passed away, said this before he died. Read this book. It could change your life. Two other books that I highly recommend. One is Honest Evangelism by Rico Tice. Talks about how you can share your faith. And then this other one, Telling the Gospel Through Story. 
by Christine Dillon talks about how you can take the Bible stories and tell them to people as you encounter them. And you know how many people don't know the Bible stories today? You tell them a Bible story, it might be the first time they hear it. And you can leverage that story to tell them another story and tell them another story and tell them how it fits in the gospel plan of salvation. Well, as we close, here's the main idea. Once again, God saves so his people praise. And for those of you here today who have not yet received Christ as your Savior, as I quoted earlier, it's not too late to change course. Today is the day. I encourage you, after our service today, we have prayer partners up front. Come up and talk to one of us. We'd love to talk more about the gospel. Let me pray a prayer from Augustine in closing. You, Lord, have become my hope, my comfort, my strength, my all. In you does my soul rejoice. The darkness vanished from before my eyes, and I beheld you, the Son of Righteousness, when I loved darkness, I knew you not, but wandered on from night to night. But you led me out of that blindness. You took me by the hand and called me to yourself. And now I can thank you and your mighty voice, which has penetrated to my inmost heart. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.